This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. This week's Pasha is Pasha's Re'ei. Very interesting Pasha. Pasha's Re'ei, well, we're, we're, you should all go to Shul, the Shabbos, because we're benching with Shchadish Elul. Ani Ladaidi Ladaidi Li. And um, Elul's here. And when you know if Elul's here, Shoshana's here, Yom Kippur's here, it's the beginning of doing, of doing Tshuva. This week's Pasha says the following opening Pasha. Re'ei, number one, person has to see. Re'ei, anaychi, naysim, lefneichem, ayayim, brachol, klala. So HaKadosh Baruch says that you should see that I am giving you today a blessing and a curse. What is the blessing and what is the curse? So the Torah goes on to continue. Es ha-bracha, ashetishmu al-mitzvahs Hashem aleikeichem. The bracha is, if you're going to listen to the mitzvahs, of Hashem your God, that I'm going to, that I'm going to command to you today. What's the bracha? Doesn't say. It says, today I'm giving you a bracha and kolo. The bracha is, if you listen to the mitzvah of Hashem your God, that I command you today, and the passage ends. Doesn't tell me what the bracha is. Okay. What's the curse? If you're not going to listen to the mitzvah of Hashem your God, the Sartam and Aderech, you're going to go off the Derech, that's where off the Derech comes from. That I'm commanding you today, you're going to end up going after other gods, I shall you that them that you don't even know. So this Pasuk is doing exactly the same thing. It's telling us, this is the Klala, and it doesn't tell us what the Klala is. It's telling us, this is the curse, it doesn't tell us what the curse is. This is the Bracha, and it doesn't tell us what the Bracha is. So the question here is, why doesn't it tell us what the curse is and what the bracha is. So the answer to this, Chazal say, is that really, I spoke about this last night with the boys, that really, that is the bracha and that is the klala. The biggest bracha that a person can have is if they listen to the mitzvahs of Hashem Aleichem, they listen to the mitzvahs that God commanded you, that is the bracha. I'm going to explain what that means. That is the bracha. Not if you listen to what Hashem says, you're going to have children, and you're going to have money, and you're going to go to Ganeiden, and everything's going to be great. The Torah is not saying that. The Torah is telling you that the biggest bracha for a human being in this world is to be connected to God, and to listen to His commandments. And what is the biggest klala? What is the biggest curse? The biggest curse in this world, if you don't listen to the mitzvahs of Hashem, and you're going to go off the derech, what's going to happen? L'leches kim you're going to end up going after other gods. Ashulayyidatam, gods that you don't even understand, gods that you don't even know. So the Torah is telling us over here that what is the biggest curse? The biggest curse is to be disconnected from God. And anyone who is connected to God knows that that's the biggest brach in the world. Because it's the ultimate, the ultimate relationship. And a person who has God in their life, even though a lot of people think it's restrictive and because there's God and mitzvahs, there, there, there are these rules, the answer is just the opposite. It's not rules and it's not restrictive, it's connections. And the more connections a person has, the, the, the more happy he is. Because our life, the way we're created, is to have relationships. We automatically, when we're born, we automatically have a relationship with our parents. We have many different relationships in our life. Our first relationship is with our parents. And if that's dysfunctional, and it makes it very hard to have the rest of the relationships. So it's very important for every parent um, to make sure that when they have children, to make sure that the relationship that they have with their children, we're going to speak about this a little bit tonight, is a healthy relationship. Because I am dealing, I've dealt in the last two weeks, crazy amount of shalom bias problems. And... Um, Really, like I've dealt with 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 girls, that, husbands and wives that are just married three, four years, and you look at the two of them, and they really should be an amazing match, because they're really two very good people, and they're so disconnected. It's 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 hard to believe. I mean, really, emotionally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, totally disconnected. And 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 I had a few couples like that this week, and the first question I asked is, "Tell me about your parents' marriage." And every single one of them, parents had a dysfunctional marriage where either parents weren't talking or they weren't showing emotion to each other for the kids or they were yelling at each other or one was manipulating and controlling one or the other. Not one of those couples that was going through marital problems had healthy parents. 
And the reason that is, is because where do we learn relationships? We learn it at home from our parents. Because the first relationship that we see is my mother and my father and how they treat each other. And if that's dysfunctional, then automatically my picture and my look on what a relationship should be is dysfunctional. If my father is always yelling at my mother, then in my head the relationship between a man and a woman is a man yells, right? And the woman is subservient. That's my head. So if that's what I see and that's how I'm brought up, so... Why is my wife getting angry that I'm yelling at her? My father did that, and my mother took it. So, like, I don't understand. What's the problem with it? So, I'm not talking about changing your parents. I'm talking about, as you as a parent, needs to know that if you are going to have a dysfunctional marriage, that you are going to cause that your children probably will have a dysfunctional marriage, which will cause their children to have a dysfunctional marriage, which will cause their children to have a dysfunctional marriage, and she's going to go from one generation to the other because that is our first relationship as kids. We watch, even though a lot of parents don't realize this, we watch our parents' relationships and how they talk to each other. And when Tati yells at mommy, um, I have seen this in school, being a Rebbe for as long as I am, that kids actually come into school um, very tense and very nervous and the reason is, is because even though the parents don't realize it, the father yells at the mother or, you know, the mother says, I don't care if you don't come home tonight. And the kid hears that. The kid goes to school and says, in his head, my tati is not coming home tonight. So he's freaking out. Now, until he comes home and like, they made, they made peace. They went out for lunch, the two of them, right? They're, they're cool. They're great because that's how they talk, right? Meanwhile, this poor kid is sitting a whole day because he thinks, his tati's not coming home tonight, or his mother's not coming home tonight, or they had a fight, and, and kids hear this word divorce all the time. The, it's a word that's not going to be used in a house, because it's a terror to a kid. When the father, you guys think one more time, I'm going to divorce you. Oh, that's how they talk, right? Oh, that's how we talk. Big deal. Kid goes home, kid thinks, that's it. I'm coming home. No parents are going to be home. I'm going to end up with either my mother or my father. My life is over. Right? And, and you make up, and, and these kids are going through such, such trauma. And these couples that I saw this week with Mamish had no idea how to be married. I'll, I'll just give you an, an, an example of, of what happened. So I had this couple, and, they, and, they, and, they're, and, they're, and they're, they're wonderful. I know them both, and they're wonderful people, but it's not, it's not, it's not happening. And so I speak to each one separately, then I speak to them together. And, and she is coming from a home where she was never number one, she was always number two, and her mother made her feel like she was number two, and that's how she felt her whole life. She wasn't as smart as her, as her sibling, she wasn't as good as her sibling, she always felt she was number two. The, the, right? So, 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 her idea of marriage would be to find a man that would think she's number one, because her whole life everyone thought she's number two. And therefore, in, in school, since her mother thought she was number two, and she got that feeling from her mother, so when she went to school, automatically, because again, your parents are the most important relationships in your life, so if I'm number two by my mother, in my head, I'm number two by my teacher, my principal, my friends, and in life, I'm number two. So here she is looking to get married, so that in this marriage with her and her husband, she's going to be number one. Right? He's coming from a, from a, from a family where her, his mother was screaming all the time. Screaming at her husband, screaming at the kids. One of these women are just screams, right? So he's looking to come into a marriage where instead of being screamed at, he's going to be talked to in a very soft, nice, gentle way, right? She screams, his wife, and he is very busy with his work and everything else. So you have a guy that's coming into a marriage who's looking for someone to talk sweet to him because his mother always yelled at him and she's just screaming so he doesn't want to come home because he, when she screams he sees his mother right it's called transference in psychology right so the minute she opens her mouth and he walks into the house and she's like where he's like oh my mother my mother I gotta get out of here I gotta get out of here it's my mother my mother's screaming at me again right and when she calls him and says, so can we go out tonight he's like listen you know I got, I got my work and I got my this and my that and I got my sheer Number two, number two, number two, number two. His shears ahead of me. His work's ahead of me. Everything's ahead of me. I'm number two again. She hears her mother screaming at you. Why can't you be like this? Why can't you do this? You're not number one in this family. You're number two. 
boom, explosion, marriage is over. Now you have these two great people, great people, who this marriage could be super amazing. But they're coming from two different places that have a million different triggers, and they're triggering each other the whole time. So I said, listen, if you can, we can get you to talk softly, you can say the same thing that you want to say, whatever it is, softly. Yelling at someone doesn't change the words that you say. Right? If you, if, if a husband comes home and tells his wife, I just want you to know I love you, there's no difference than saying, I love you! Because something's wrong with that, I, that scream. You don't have to scream it, you can say it, right? So the same thing, if you want to tell a kid, listen, um, you have to be in bed at 9.30, right? The same intelligence that he has to understand, if you scream, you have to be in bed at 9.30, sometimes they don't even hear it, because the minute the decimal goes up, out. you're out, you're done. And if you're ADD kid, which people don't even realize, because I haven't been an ADD kid, the problem with being ADD or ADHD, ADD, the attention, the way the attention deficit works is that an ADD person, we can concentrate, we can watch a movie for three hours without moving. We could go to a shear and listen to what the person's saying for three hours without moving. But if in the middle of that class, half an hour into that class when I was in school, somebody would raise his hand and say to the Rebbe, ask a question or change the subject, the channels in your head can't change. So the minute the channel changes, we start to dream. And when, so I'm not listening to this kid ask the Rebbe the question, because I'm already, you change the channel, I can't change the channel. Now the Rebbe goes back into the Gemara, I can't get back there. I'm already in dream world, I'm gone, I lost my attention, that's what ADD is. I lose my attention, and therefore I can't come back. So if you're watching a show, right, and you change the channel, I, I have a big problem going back. But to sit and just on one thing, if you don't move it right or left, that's what ADD is, and, and, and people will have it, right, before medicine, we just learned how to sort of, you know, compensate. And sometimes we talk a myth the whole class. And it's, it's very, very hard. Well, guess what? If you scream at me and I turn off, then even afterwards, and this is what I explained to them, even after the words you start talking softly to me and you're apologizing, whatever it is, I can't go back there. I don't hear you. Because once you screamed at me, I turned off my channel. I can't come back. It takes a long time to come back and hear what you're saying. So sometimes parents are, the, the, the opening, the opening thing when the kid walks in is a yell, and then they, they really want to talk to the kid, and the kid's not there, I'm, uh, I'm talking to you, where are you? And the answer is, the minute you yelled at me, I, I, I turned off, and once I turn off, I go into my own world. Once I'm in my own world, to bring me back is much harder. And, and so it's the same thing with couples. If you yell at somebody, and, and he doesn't want to hear it because it's his mother, so after that, whatever you're saying just sounds like blah, 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 or it doesn't even sound like blah, blah, blah. It, it doesn't go anywhere. So I'm like, you need to talk softly, and you need to make her number one. And we need to go to therapy to work that out, how to work that. But it's very simple. It's not such a... Because they're really two beautiful people and they, it's a perfect marriage. They're really very good for each other. They're just triggering each other the whole time. So, so relationships is probably the most important thing that, that a human being... It's the one thing we have that, that animals don't have. Right? They have instinct. But they, don't, they don't have relationships. The ultimate relationship is God. When you have God, then you can deal with a lot of things that you can't do if you don't have God. And being that we're part of Hashem, there's a certain void that if you're not connected to Hashem, you're cursed. That's what the Pesach is telling you. It's a curse not to be connected to Hashem. And it's a bracha to be connected to Hashem. Why? For instance, you're going through stuff. Now, if you don't think there's a God and you're not connected to Him, then... This is crazy that this is happening to me. And it's just by chance, and there's no rhyme or reason I'm going through this pain. In other words, if I'm connected to Hashem, and I trust Him, and so, so it's like a doctor. I'm, I, I understand that the doctor, you know, I have this, this famous story that I tell people who ask the question why good things happen to, to bad people and bad things. So I tell them this famous story about these, this savage who was never in civilization. And... He decides he has to come to civilization with his kid because his kid is very, very sick. And the medicine man in his village in the Amazon forest, right, says that he doesn't have anything in the forest that can help this kid. But he heard that in civilization, 
He may be able to save his life, even though we don't like to go to civilization. You need to take your child to civil, into civilization. And there's a place called a hospital, and that's where you need to take him. And he, he was a very, he was the medicine man is the smartest man. So he writes in a crude thing, hospital, and he gives it to the man and says, go with your kid. And when you walk into the city, right, in Brazil, wherever they were in South America, just give them this and tell them that's where you need to go. Okay. So this guy was never, ever in civilization. You have to understand that. Never in his life. So he comes in, and um, he gives the paper at hospital. People, oh, hospital, damn, make a left, make a right, make a left. Okay. He comes into the hospital, and my child is sick. Okay, we'll take him to the clinic, to the doctor. So they bring him into a room. Of course, he's very scared. He was never in civilization. And the room is full of kids, coughing and sneezing. I mean, you've been by doctors with kids, right? Coughing and sneezing, and they're sitting there, and they're waiting. And um, the the father has to go to the bathroom, so he gets up and he asks him, "Where's you know, where's the bathroom?" Um, which was pretty scary for a guy out of the Amazon. And he's walking back to the bathroom, and the doctor is in a room with a kid. So he peeks in, and he sees this guy in a white coat, right? And the parents of the child are there, and the, the mother's holding down this little teeny one year old, holding down the hands, and the father's holding down the feet. And the kid is screaming the top of his lungs, and he's watching this. And he's thinking, human sacrifice, right? They're going to sacrifice this kid, for sure. I mean, the kid's screaming, that's what, you know. And he's thinking, human sacrifice. And then he's looking at this doctor in the white coat, thinking he's the priest, right? And the doctor takes this thing with a long needle. And he's like, what are they doing? And he takes this needle. Imagine you never saw this before in your life. And he takes this needle... And he sticks it into the kid's thigh, right? And the kid's screaming! And the parents are holding down the kid, whatever it is. And finally the doctor pulls it out and the kid is screaming. And he runs back to his kid and he's like, forget the bathroom, forget everything. They're murderers, they're torturers, they're killers. This is not civilization. And, and we're, 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 we're getting out of here. Okay? So they run back to the, run back to the jungle. And the guy says, no, what did they do? And they're like, are you kidding me? You sent me to this H hospital? They're savage. You think we're savages? They stick needles in and they hold them down. And, and, and No way. And the guy's like, do me a favor. Your kids get, you got to go back. You got to take care of your child. You got to go back. I don't understand what you're saying. I don't know what you saw. I think you saw something wrong. Maybe you didn't understand. You got to go back. So he's like, okay, goes back. And comes back to the waiting room, and the parents of this kid that just got the needle, they're they're leaving, and they're paying, they're paying the nurse. Imagine you never saw this before, right? They're paying the nurse, and they're thank you, thank you so much, right? And the doctor walks in like, doctor, you're thank you, thank you so much. And he's sitting there, what sick parents, <laughs> what terrible parents! They pay this man to torture their child, and they thank him. This is a very sick place. He said, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I am not listening to my guy. I'm out of here. And he walks down into the hall. And in the hall, there's an old man, and he's begging for a drink. And there's a nurse standing there. And he's like, please, I need something to drink. Please, I need something to drink. And he has this private nurse. And she goes, sure, Mr. Free, whatever your name is. Sure, I'll get you a drink. She comes back with an ice-cold bottle of Coke. And she opens it up and she pours it for him and he drinks it and, and it's like, and he's like, you know what? It's not so bad. Not so bad. The little children, they torture. But adults, they take care of. So it's only little children that they stick needles into. But adults, they take care of, I don't know, you know, maybe we should go back in. So he goes back in and he asks the nurse, he says, I don't understand what I just saw. And she says, sir, I don't know where you're from. But the doctor here is the most amazing doctor. That child that got the shot had pneumonia. He got a shot of penicillin. Had he not gotten that shot, he would have died. And she explains to him the whole thing with the shot and how it works and whatever it is. Fine. So he takes the kid. They do whatever they have to do. He's on his way out. And he sees this nurse who gave the guy the Coca-Cola. She's in handcuffs. And there's a bunch of police taking her out. And he says, I don't understand. She's such a wonderful woman. The man was dying of thirst. She went and bought him this cold drink. He was so happy. Why'd you arrest him? They said, she's a murderer. 
She's a killer. Two weeks ago, the, the, she got the man to write a will. He's a crazy diabetic. So she just gave him a can of Coke. He went into diabetic shock and he died. She's going to jail for murder. Here you have two different stories. The one that looks great is a murderer. The one that looks like a murderer saved the kid's life. Now, I'm not telling you some crazy story. I'm taking you out of civilization. Imagine, God forbid, the guy would have walked into an operating room in the middle of open heart surgery and he would have seen a doctor with a guy's chest open taking the guy's heart out. He would have thought, cannibals! They eat human hearts! Right? We ran out of the emergency room. Because we understand what a hospital is and what open heart surgery is and what the doctor's doing. So to us, he's saving this guy. But to someone who never saw this before and walked into an operating room, they, they, take, they take human beings from a horror movie. They cut human beings open and they take their heart out. Vampires. It's the same thing. We don't understand. We're that, we're that, that guy from the forest. We don't understand when we somebody, we see somebody in pain, we don't understand what a cutter's Baruch Hu is doing. And when we see Risham that are having a great time, they're drinking a Coke, but it's killing them in the next world. They're getting the payment in this world. So if you don't believe, so, so why am I in pain? Why am I sick? Why am I sick and nobody else is sick? You're, you're, you're going to be in much more pain. Because there's no reason to your pain. It's not doing anything for you. It's, it's just random. Random pain. Random being poor. Random situation. It's much more painful than understanding that my loving father, yes, yeah, sometimes I got to get a needle. And sometimes it's a tikkun for my Gilgal. I don't know why I'm going through this. We don't know why we go through things. You know, you have to learn all the gulgulim. We don't, even the gulgulim that we learn, you know, we don't understand. Everybody has a different job. You know, everybody has a different job in this life. The, the, uh, who was it? Um, was it the Kleisenberg or whatever? There were some very, very big tzaddikim that, did, that didn't have children. That didn't have children. And it's like, I don't understand. There were such big tzaddikim. That wasn't why they were here. Well, that wasn't why they were here. And, 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 and there's chasfishon people who don't get married. And sometimes they're, they're, they're not here to get married. That's not why they came into the world. And, and the Zara talks about this a lot. They, they did that in last Gilgal. Whatever it is, you have to try. You have to do what you have to. But sometimes... The, the, the reason that you're here, and therefore, you, you, if you, if you, and I, and I, I explained this to, to, to somebody this morning who was in my office. It's very nice to dream, but a person has to dream about things that they possibly can do, right? You, you, can, you can't dream about jumping out of the Empire State Building and flying. You're, you're wasting a lot of good energy and a lot of good time, and if you try to do that, it's not going to work out very well, right? Um, but a person has to be in connection with themselves to know what they can do. And and I just just before I got here, I had a group of girls in my office that I was talking to, and they and they asked me like, how do you, like how do you how do you get through life? There's 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 so many stumbling blocks in life, right? Young eighteen year old girls from Lakewood, they're like, I want to say, how, how do you get through life? You know, it, it's there's so much stuff. And I said, focus. You have to learn how to focus. On what your goal, first you have to learn what your goal is, right? You have to figure out what your goal is, and don't set your goal as something impossible. Something that's possible, you have to set your goal. But you have to be focused on your goal. I say like, like a soldier in the army, right? His job, let's say this guy, during this offensive in Palestine, whatever it is, his job is to take out the communication antenna because they are picking up all the Israeli signals. So, that's his job. Now, if he's gonna be busy with Medics helping people who are getting shot, with blowing up tanks, with being a sniper, he's not going to get the communications. But if he is focused on that communications, he has a chance that he's going to get it and he's going to blow it up. But if he's busy with everything else, he's not going to be able to blow it up. So the, the first thing a person has to do, and, and, and this was, this is not my speech tonight really, but I guess Hashem, whatever, and this is what I, this is what I was t- talking to the girls about tonight, the first thing a person has to do is know yourself, number one. And, and, and don't live in your guilt of what you did till now, because we don't do that. We learn from our past. Judaism doesn't have guilt. Tshuva doesn't come from guilt. Tshuva is to correct. It's, it's, it's a consequence. And, and that's why it says that a person who does tshuva, 
becomes a barrier chadash. It's the Rambam, right now, Hilus Chuva. Before Elo, the Rambam says a person who does Chuva, who repents, it's, it, he becomes a new creation. So it's not guilt. If it's guilt, so it's the, I'm, the old me is not me anymore. I'm a new me. No, you're a different me. You're not the same person. We don't live in guilt. It's not a Jewish thing, even though people put a lot of guilt on themselves. That is, guilt is the satan. Guilt is depression. If you, if you, if you do something wrong, you have to correct it. It's not about, it's not about, it's not about guilty. If I, if I put a nail in your tire, and I make your tire flat, so I have to correct and put a new tire on your car. But to sit there and just feel bad about who I am, that's not what Hashem wants from us. Hashem does not want you on Yom Kippur, right? Rosh Hashanah is a yantif. Rosh Hashanah, you're supposed to get dressed up in a suit. And it says that when you walk out of shul, you're supposed to feel good. Not, oh, I'm a sinner, oh my God, I'm going to burn. That is not Judaism. I don't know what it became Judaism, but it, guilt is not, is not Jewish. It's not what Hashem wants. He doesn't want a bunch of people walking around with their head down to the floor. Yes, He wants you to do tshuva. Tshuva is not guilt. Tshuva means I am fixing what I broke. That's all it is. I am fixing what I broke, and I am sorry that I hurt you. But if you can't, you know... You, not to show them, you, you know, the Gaisha bars, so that's what they do. They sit all, they're, they're, they're in their 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Right, I go up to Woodridge, right, tomorrow night. I go up to Woodridge, so when you come into Woodridge, there's a bar on the corner, right, before you come into Woodridge. There's a bar when you get off the 17, right? There's 150 cars there. Like the whole mountains is in that bar. Pickup trucks, motorcycles, right? I don't even know how, how they fit all, what are they doing in the bar? Why aren't they home? They're all sitting around saying, remember? Remember the good old days? Remember when we were 20? Remember when we were 25? You remember this? You remember this? You remember that? Meanwhile, what are you doing? You're remembering and you're drinking. Hey, bartender. Oh, you remember that crash we were in? Yeah. Those two kids we ran over? I'll take another two beers. You know? Give me another drink. And they're all sitting there and they're just drinking about their past. That's not what we do. We're not, we're not, we're living in our past. We learn from our past. Right? We're not living in the Holocaust. If the, if the, if the, if the Holocaust survivors, the people who came out of the Holocaust, lived in the Holocaust, guess what? None of us would be in this room right now. Because they wouldn't have gotten married, and they wouldn't have had children, and they wouldn't, what, what do you mean? They just, they just, they, they were just married, and they just had children, and they were part of families, and they were part of schools, and they were part of Yiddishkeit, and they lost everything. So, if I'm living in that world, I can't get out of that world, I'm gonna get married again. So it should happen again? What, what, what am I rebuilding Yiddishkeit in America? Yiddishkeit in America before the Holocaust was teeny little struggling nothing. The Yiddishkeit that we have, the Judaism, is, is the Holocaust. How did they do it? How did they do it? Because they don't live in the Holocaust. Yes, there's a lot of scars, and I'm not going to tell you there isn't. But they made up their mind. They were very focused. There's a, there's a man that I know very well, and before every simchas, every simcha, he gets up, Every single Mr. Grossman, he gets up, he should be gesund, and he says, Hitler! He starts his shit. His, his, we won! That's how he starts. Then he starts thanking Hashem for whatever it is. We won. You know why we won? Look at all my kindalach. Look at all the Jewish kids sitting here at this bar mitzvah. Look at everybody that's here. He's not living in the Holocaust. He's not living in the Lutz ghetto. He learned from it, and he may have done different things in his life that way, and he may be in pain. But he's very, they were very focused, my grandparents included. They were very focused on making a life, continuing Yiddishkeit, and getting married, and making a life, and getting jobs, and sending their kids to yeshiva, and rebuilding what they lost. And that comes from a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because if you don't have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so if there wasn't a reason behind the Holocaust, so six million people just died for nothing... So, so why am I Jewish? Why am I existing? Why am I getting married? Why am I doing anything? He's going to do it again. If it's random and it happened once, when we're going to start a whole family in America and they're going to kill all my kids again? So they didn't believe it was random. They believed it was a cheshman. We don't have any idea why. Anyone who tells you they know why, we have no idea why. But I don't understand why I'm coming from the woods, why you're giving this kid a shot and holding his hands down and letting him scream like that. So I understand that I'm coming from the woods, Hashem. I'm a human being. I don't have the capacity to understand. But I can go on because 
I believe that everything that in this world has a cheshman. And all the people who don't believe in God and, 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 and are random, all these kids that are off the derech, right? They're not having a good time. They're living the klala. They're doing drugs. They're depressed. They're suicidal. They're not having a good time. They should be having a great time, right? I can do whatever I want. It's after four o'clock in the morning. I deal with these kids. Are you happy? I'm not happy. I'm depressed. Why aren't you happy? I would think if you could stay up till four o'clock in the morning, drink, drugs, girls, do whatever you want, you should guys should be jumping up and down. Why are you trying to kill yourself? Why are you trying to commit suicide? You have the life. They don't have the life. They have a void. I told you, you don't have a life. You have a void. You're living a void, a big hole. What's the big hole? You gave up. You 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 took God out of your life. You take God out of your life. Everything's random. Everything's random. Just stuff happens. Stuff happens. You don't want to be here. I don't want to be here if stuff happens. I don't want to live in a world where there's no cheshman. So they're not happy. None of them are happy. And and this is not something psychologically or psychologists. This is the passage. If you are not going to listen to the mitzvah of Hashem, your God, let me tell you what's going to happen. Okay, not so bad. I'm a little off the derech. Right? At the end of the day, oh, the Torah tells you, you know where you're going to end up? You're going to become an atheist. You're going to go after other gods. But guess what? It's not going to be gods. It's going to be drugs. It's going to be internet and Facebook. You don't even know what you're doing. means you don't even know what you're connected to anymore. Mamash the exactly what it says in the Pasuk. You don't even know what you're doing. Why are you doing I don't know why I'm doing Really, I'm in so much pain. I don't know why I'm doing this. Right? Why do you have to show your picture to a million different people? Why do you have to get dressed the way you're getting dressed and everybody has to see your body? What are you doing that for? I've asked that question. Good. What are you doing this for? Where's your pain? Why? Why? Why aren't you covering up so people can get to know who you really are? Your personality, your loves, your hates, your emotions. You're not a cow. What, what are you doing? You're not in a zoo. Right? What are you doing? And the truth is, when you break it down, you break it down, there's a, there's a crazy void, and I don't know how to fill it. And I don't know how to get good attention. And I don't know how to have a real good relationship. So I know that if I don't get dressed right, so I'm going to get attention. I, that attention is not healthy attention. I know, but I need attention. So if you have a relationship with a Baruch Hu, then you know that every second of the day you're getting attention because you can't breathe and you can't eat and there's no sunshine and there's nothing without him. So he's showering me. I, I, I read a story from here. He's showering me with attention. So if I know that he's showering me with attention, I don't need to wear short skirts so some guy's going to abuse me. That's not attention. That's, that's just being used. But if I don't have Hashem and I separate myself from God and I'm disconnected, I'm this crazy void and this void needs to be filled. Or it's so painful to be disconnected that I need to have anesthesia. Whatever that anesthesia is. And I'll watch a movie for three hours about the biggest stupidity, which I know isn't true, and then after the movie, what do I have? Zero. I did nothing with those three hours. Those three hours, you could have tutored a little girl who's struggling in math, so that when she comes back to school this year, she's going to do amazing. Those three hours, you could have helped Kai Lifeline and been in a hospital and let her mother go home for three, four hours at night so she could sleep because she hasn't slept in two weeks. Three hours? You know what? Three hours, you can change the world. Three hours to change a kid's life. And you wasted it watching and reading stupidities? And the answer is, yes, I'm disconnected. I need a distraction from life. Someone told me that tonight. I need a distraction from life. I'm like, Ivey, so why are you alive? Think about it. If I need a distraction from life, then why am I alive? If I'm alive then I need to be in life. I don't need to be distracted from life. So if you're alive, there's a reason that you're here. Why, why do you want to be distracted from life? It's sort of like going on a cruise, right? And making sure the whole time you never look out the window. So what are you on the cruise for? Right? So you're watching television the whole cruise and you get off the cruise like, so how was the cruise? I just uh, I distracted myself the whole trip. I was watching TV. So, so why did you get on the boat? You could have watched TV at home. So if you want to be distracted from life, so what are you doing in life? So if you're in life, there's a reason for you to be in life. So what's, what do you want to be distracted from life? And the answer is, because I have this crazy void. And the Torah tells us, that's going to be a klala. It's going to be a big klala. 
and and it's it's very important that amidst Hashem you'll be parents. There's a story here that I have to tell you, and I'm so sorry that I found this story at my age that I didn't find the story when I had little children, because there was something, and I, and I would like really everybody that hears the story. If you have little children, amidst Hashem you don't have any children, but Hashem you will have children. Um, you, you got to do this in your house. You got to do this in your house. This is a, a this is a a life changer. So there was there's a pus, there was a passing in Pasha Eka that said the lechet b'chol to go in all of Hashem's um, all of Hashem's drachim. I think my phone is out, so yeah, we both call Hashem. But anyway, so listen to this story. Maybe we take a story. So it says that we should go in the ways of God. What does that mean? Go in the ways of God. So Rashi says. What are the ways of God? Kindness. You should be so kindness on other people. He says the following story. Maybe I said the story since I read it probably a hundred times to a hundred different people. They have to do this in their house. So a certain Talmud Chacham had come from Eretz Yisrael and he came to a city called Strasbourg. I think it's in France. I'm not sure, but I believe the city's in France. And this rabbi made up that he's going to be there for Shabbos. So he comes there Friday afternoon late. And the people that he came to left for Shabbos. So he had no place for Shabbos, right? He, he discovered that his would-be host had left the city and he had no place to stay for Shabbos. So he, he didn't know what to do. So he left his suitcases near the shul and he goes into shul, knows nobody, Strasbourg, France, he's coming from Israel. And at the end of davening, this man walks over to him and says, do you have a place for Shabbos meals? I wish we'd do that. You know, out of town they do that a lot. But in New York, for some reason, we don't, we're not so sensitive to people, you know, coming and not having a place for Shabbos. Whenever you go out of town, whenever I go out of town, it's like, you have, you have a place for Shabbos. I'm like, if you think I'd be here if I didn't? <laughs> yeah, right, okay. You know, but, but Lamaise in New York, a lot of people, we, don't, we, we should ask in shuls, you know, to a girl, this said, do you have a place for Shabbos? We, we don't, we're, we're so busy, you know, but it's, it's wrong. Lamaise, it's wrong, and we, we, we need to take on that. But that's not, that's not where I'm going here. So anyway, so he asked him, do you have a place for Shabbos? So he, he was embarrassed. He didn't want to say, I got, you know, stood up. I don't have a place for Shabbos. But the man saw already that he was, he said, no, I, I see you don't have a place for Shabbos. You know, come to my house for Shabbos. Okay, so this guy had no place, the Tamachacham had no place to go. So he accepted the invitation gratefully. To his surprise, he comes home with this, with this man. And he comes to at the table. So there were eight children and the husband and the wife. So there were ten people. And there were eleven settings on the table. So he's thinking, somebody else is supposed to come, right? So, the 11 places were set. So they said, no, sit over here. It's okay. You can sit over here. So several years later, he didn't ask them anything. He comes again. And this time, he didn't go to the other people. He came to this guy. And he became the guest by these people. And when he came, again, there was an extra place set at the table. Now, he was invited. So now there were 12 settings. There were the 10, his setting, because he was invited for Shabbos. And another empty setting, a twelfth one. So he saw that uh, that he saw that there's something's going on over here. There's not there's always an extra setting. So he didn't chop why. So he turned to the kid that was sitting next to him, and he said, "What's going on over here? Why do you always have an extra setting on the table Friday night? You know, for Shabbos." So he said, "Every week, this is what the kid tells him, tells the rabbi. Every week before my father goes to shul, he stands in the corner." And he davens to Hashem that we should have the schus, the merit of having a guest come from shul to us for Shabbos. So we always set an extra place at the table in anticipation that our father's prayer will be answered. Godless, right? So he asked him, so do a lot of guests come to your house for Shabbos? So the kid goes, no, not at all. Every Friday night we pray for this, but we're in Strasbourg and nobody comes to Strasbourg, so... Very unusual that we, that, you know, that we get a guest. So, he said, it's very rare that our father brings home a guest. And now the guy's like, so I don't chap, why, so why is he doing this? So the Tamachacham went over to the host and he asked him, why, why do you do this? Why do you always have an extra setting? Um, why don't you just, if a guest is in shul and he's looking for a place, so when he comes into the house, take a plate out, set a place, and, and, you know, like, okay, we have a guest, set a place. Why do you do this to your kids? First of all, your kids are very let down. You're davening for a guest. You come home, there's no guest. You're davening for a guest. You go, 
That's not a good thing for your kids, right? And second of all, just, just set a place. If someone comes, just set a place. Listen to what this man said. He said, we do this for two reasons. One reason is that we want our children to love the mitzvah of Achmas So when, 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 I'm, when I daven that a person should come for Shabbos, they're all davening that a person should come for Shabbos. They're all excited and they're waiting by the door when Tati comes home from shul. So that imbuing them that, that we, it's, it's a treasure. It's special. We, we, we even daven for it. It's so amazing to have a guest for Shabbos. Well, kids that's brought up like that automatically instead of, oh my God, someone's coming for Shabbos. You know, we're going to have less food. Who needs them? They're not, you know, that we don't know them. These kids were brought up in such a way that they were so excited that they were dominating that someone should come for Shabbos. What unbelievable If I was a young man and my daughters were young right now, I would tell my wife, I want you to, I only have one daughter at home now, I would want you to set an extra, mama, it's, it's, it's godless. I told my son-in-laws, you have to do this for your kids. There should be, the Shabbos table, one extra setting. Tati, mommy, who is that for? Right? Not Eliyahu Navi like on Pesach night. That's for if anyone's in shul and they don't have a place, that's for them. Do you understand the chinuch that that would do for your children? So he asked this host, but but I understand what you I understand that. But you said you have two reasons that you do it. What's the second reason? He said, I'll tell you the truth. He said, if you're going to come into my house and I'm going to put a a, a, a plate down and dishes, you're going to think that we didn't expect you, so that my wife only made for 10 of us, now we have to share it with 11 of us, so we're each going to have less food. But if you come into my house and you see the extra setting, then you know that we don't just put a setting there, but that we prepared the food for that setting, so you won't feel bad that you took some of the food of the rest of the family. Wow. Do you hear how you have to think about another person's feelings? So whoever's watching this, whoever's in this room, if you, you still have little kids at home, Right? Or your grandchildren, whatever it is, I think it would be one of the most unbelievable things to do is to start setting an extra place in your house on the table for Shabbos. I think it's a game changer in your children's lives because again, what they see is what they're going to do. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you about my own family. So, my grandparents came in the, towards the end of the Holocaust. They ran away from Holland actually. And they lived on the west side. At that time, the west side had a lot of, it was very poor. It wasn't what it is today. 98th Street and West End. It wasn't what it is today. They lived on Broadway. There were a lot of tenements there and there were a lot of, um, street people, Jewish street people that used to sleep on Broadway. Broadway had benches. So Broadway was the only street the west end didn't have and all the other streets didn't have. West, that, that, Broadway had benches. So they used to sleep on those benches. I can tell you I was a little child. And um, no hugging in the middle of this year. Anyway, I'm kidding. Um, I was a, I was a, one second, wait, you can't leave me in the middle of the year. I said, tell him to come in and listen to the year. He's a nice guy. It's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll call you and tell you the end of it. Anyway, so, um, so I was a little teeny boy, and we used to go for Shabbos to my grandparents. I could not sit in their dining room. I used to eat in the kitchen. It stunk from urine and filth so bad that these street people that my grandparents used to have them there for the meals I gagged we could not eat in the same room so their grandchildren ate in the kitchen and the poor people ate in the dining room with my grandparents and I watched that every as I was growing up and Pesach by the Seder and it was and then they had some crazy people who used to sit there there was one guy who who, he was never a Jewish guy that wasn't so normal, and he said he worked for the FBI, and, and he told us all kinds of stories, and we talked a little bit, believed him, but we found out much later that, but that's what I saw by my grandparents. That's how my father was brought up. So I want to tell you the effect, the effect. So one day my father comes home in Muncie, my father Oliver Shalom, he's resting in Ganeiden, so he comes home on a Sunday morning, and he um, walks into the house and he's got this poor guy, also smelly, everything's ripped, yellow, and, like he didn't take a shower and I don't know how long. His name was Mr. Goldstein, Oliver Shalom. And um, I was already now a little bit of a teenager and I was like, whoa. And he, he came for breakfast. To make a long story short, for years, for years, my father picked him up on the east side every Friday and he was in my house for Shabbos. And 
he was not a clean person. He, I used to, his house, his broken apartment, right, was, there was, on the floor, was all like newspaper, there were rats and, and roaches. It was, oh! It was, he didn't pay any rent, it was a cold tenement, with no heat. My father, every Shabbos, he was in my house, every Shabbos, we took him to shul, and my mother fed him, and there was no way, if my father wasn't brought up by his parents like that, that you would bring this man into your house. You would, you would, you would pay him to go somewhere else. Anyway, but you have to hear this. My mother, one day, walks into his room to clean up whatever it is. He went to my father's shul, and the Wall Street Journal was open, and there were stocks that were circled. And my mother's like, this guy's not poor. This guy's not poor. A poor guy who lives in a tenement doesn't read the Wall Street Journal. So she tells my father, this guy's not poor. And my father says, he may be, he may not, but as far as in his brain, he may be sick, but look at him, he's very poor, he lives very poor, he's freezing, he has no food, whatever it is. And it didn't make a difference to my father, one iota, that he had the Wall Street Journal. Anyway, to make a long story short, one day, he wasn't home on Friday when he went to pick him up. To make a long story short, the New York Times came out on Sunday that there was a Goldstein that lived in this and this apartment that passed away and had three and a half million dollars in stock certificates in his apartment. It was him. He was a multi-millionaire. He was extremely sick. And I thought my father would feel like the guy beat us. You know, all these years, picking him up, feeding him, giving him food, buy, trying to buy him clothes, whatever it was, the guy beat us. The guy was a millionaire. And of course, his faraway cousin got the money, whatever it was, right? And we took care of him and his faraway, but, but that didn't matter. He's in Ghana, my father. It didn't bother him an iota. Because at the end of the day, even though he had that money, he was, he was sick in his head. As far as I know, he was poor. Okay. I started teaching 36 years ago in a yeshiva called Torah Vermoon in the Bronx. Torah Vermoon in the Bronx, at that time in the Bronx, the Bronx was burnt out buildings. Everything was totally vacated. This yeshiva shrunk from the Bronx in the old days. It was a little yeshiva, had a couple of Jewish kids in it. These Jewish kids lived in such poverty. I never saw such poverty. Really. They, they wore torn clothing. They came to yeshiva. I used to buy them things. This was my first, I was 20 years old. First started teaching. This is my first year in teaching. Okay. I'm all excited. I'm just married, right? My parents live in Muncie. These kids are in the Bronx. I'm like, ta, can I bring four kids for Shabbos? My father loved kids. Yes, bring them, right? I go pick them up. Mamish. Rat infested apartment buildings. No, he, the same thing that that man used to live in. Very, very poor kids. Okay, come to my house for Shabbos. They ne- they're sitting there like they never saw a silver. They never saw a dish like that. I mean, everything that they were eating was like, wow, I never had this. I never had this. And we were having such a good time with them. And Monday Shabbos, I'm going to take them bowling. I'm going to go for pizza. You know, I just started teaching. I'm very excited. Fine. So I take them out for bowling and we go for pizza. I come home. My mother says, come upstairs, we need to talk to you. Okay? I go upstairs. My mother says to me, um, while you were bowling, I went downstairs to the room where the kids were. Everything was flying all over the place. My parents are yakked so my mother liked things a little bit neater. And she said, so I folded their clothing. It's my mother. I folded their clothing um, to put it back in the suitcases I opened up their suitcase and all my jewelry was in their suitcase and half our silver one boy said he was sick Hitaka said he was sick and when we all went to shul my mother goes to shul we all went to shul Shabbos morning for those three hours he went through the house took all my mother's jewelry took silver and was going to steal it so I was like what? I'm taking these kids home now? I was like beyond myself my father's like don't say one word to them. I'm like, what do you mean? They got nothing. How can I not, you know, I was just, how can I not say anything to them? My father said, when the boy opens his suitcase, he's gonna see the jewelry's gone, he's gonna see the silver's gone, he's gonna know we caught him. He, he knows, he knows we caught him. You don't need to embarrass him anymore. It's my first lesson in real chinuch. What are you gonna scream at him? He knows, when he opened the suitcase, like they caught me. They know I stole. He says, what do you mean? Now you're gonna embarrass him on top of that? He knows about it. It's crazy. That's Superman. That's not normal. Right? Okay? That's not normal. Fine. 
My mother was a little bit more upset than my father, right? Fine. He calls me in Flatbush like Wednesday. He goes, so you bring the boys for Shabbos again? I'm like, Dad. He says, don't worry, me and Mommy will hide everything. Where, where does that come from? These kids came to your house. They stole everything that you have. They have no appreciation. They wanted to take all your jewelry. They came into your house. They went into your bedroom. They went into your closets. They went into your drawers. Right? They went into all your stuff. They went through your stuff and they stole it. And okay, just bring it back next time. But we'll make sure we hide everything. Where my father get that from? And the answer is from his parents. He got that from his parents, and 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 he got that from the extra setting at the table. When you when you're brought up in such a way, then that that sticks, and that's the bracha, and that's what the Torah tells us that a person as a bracha the bracha is to listen to the mitzvah. What's the mitzvah? What's Hashem's mitzvah? To love other people. If you look at his mitzvahs, I always tell you, what bad mitzvah do we have? Where does it say that you should beat up somebody, yell at them, curse them? We have the whole thing. I said, of all the religions, right? You, you hate Torah because it's such a tough religion. It's the one religion that says you can't even talk bad about someone in a roundabout way. There's Lashon Hara, Avak Lashon Hara, Mighty Shemra, Rechilas. The one religion that is so careful that you don't hurt another person's feeling. The one religion that you erase God's name for Shalom Bias. God, he wants so much from me, really. By a sight there, right? What's the halacha by a sight If a man says, my wife went into a room, and I don't know what happened with the other man, right? So how do we find out if something happened? They take Hashem's name, they erase it, they put it into water, and they make her drink. And they ask the kasha, what if you have to erase Hashem's name? Hashem says, to, to, to bring Shalom Bias between these two, that she didn't do anything, erase my name. That is the biggest bracha. To have such a God and have such a Torah and have such a religion that's so picky about how you treat each other and, 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 and how you treat your parents and how you treat each other and how parents treat their kids and, and how, how, how careful you have to be, how you talk to somebody. And then if you steal something, you have to pay it back and you have to pay it. Look at the halachas and, 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 and break down the Torah. Where, where is there something bad in here? Where does it say hurt somebody, yell at somebody, hit somebody, punish somebody? The whole word, the word Gehenim, everyone talks about hell, it's not even in the Torah. Never says that word in the whole, in the whole Chumash. Never says the word Gehenim. Talks about Ganeiden, right, Beratius, talk about Gehenim. So, so what Pasha's Re'eh is telling us is that the biggest bracha, not that if you listen to God and you listen to the mitzvahs, that's the bracha. No, the biggest bracha in your life you're connected to God, you're going to feel good about yourself, you're going to feel good about your relationships. If you study his mitzvahs and you study his Torah, you're going to learn how to treat. If you, you know, if you look at Rapam and you look at the tzaddikim, you'll see the biggest respect for human beings, the biggest respect for a wife, the biggest respect of a wife. You know, I love this story about, I know, I know Rabbi Auerbach, Oliver Sholem's driver. That he had in Eretz Yisrael, from the Zalman Auerbach, he got all hadar. And when he was seventy years old, I know the driver. He told me the story. He said when he was seventy years old, he used to after yeshiva on his way home for dinner at seven o'clock, he would take out a piece of sponge cake, and he would eat the sponge cake, make a bracha and eat the sponge cake. So one time, this driver had the chutzpah to say to him, "Doesn't the rov know that that you're not supposed to eat snacks right before supper, right?" You're going home to eat supper. You're going to eat snack. You're not going to have an appetite. She says, ah, every single night. I see you do. Maybe Rav Shlomo Zaman can tell me. He says, sure, I'll tell you. He says, I'm, I'm old and I'm very hungry. So I know that I'm going to come home before, I get a, before I'm going to want, sit down and talk to my wife. I'm going to be very edgy because I'm going to be very hungry. And I'm not going to give her the right attention. So I have this piece of cake. My stomach calms down. I calm down. So I come home. I'm a calm person. I can talk to her. Torah. That's what it says, Re'ei. If you listen to my Torah and you do my mitzvahs, it's the biggest bracha. Your marriage is going to be good. Your relationship with your kids are going to be good. Your relationship with yourself is going to be good. It's a different life. And all the people that are disconnected, that you're going to be cursed, you're going to be burnt, you're going to be punished, you're going to, you're going to lose this, you're going to lose... No, the Torah says, that's the biggest klala. Because curse is to be disconnected from God. It is so true. Because the people, the atheists, I have yet to meet a happy one. 
They're miserable people. They really are. They're miserable people. They don't like people. They don't believe in God. They don't like anything. Just save the plants. That they like. But everything else, they don't like anything because why should I like you? You're, you're just, you weren't created for a reason. There's no God. So why should I like you? You're just random. You're random. Why should I like you more than you? You're all random. You just happened. Just, just, it was an explosion. And you showed up. Why do I have to respect you? Why are you any better than me? Who are you? You're nothing. You're random. You were monkeys one day. So now you're humans. You look a little better. Even though the monkeys think they look a little better. Right? So that whole world, right? the whole world that you come from a monkey, you're going nowhere. There's no next world. Right? So there's no Olam Haba. You're coming from nowhere. And you're going nowhere. That's the biggest claw. If you think you come from nowhere and you're just an accident, well, I don't think anyone in this room wants to be called an accident, right? If you're an atheist, you're an accident. You're all an accident. You just happen to happen. And where you're going? Nowhere. Because there's no other world. You're going nowhere. You come from nowhere and you're going nowhere. And right now, where, where are you? Random! So you come from nowhere, you're just random, you're going nowhere. You want me to be happy about this? Right? And that's if I'm having, and everything's perfect in my life. They're miserable, vengeful, angry people. And that's exactly what Pashish Re'e says. The biggest bracha is to be connected to Kirsh Baruch Because if you're connected to Kirsh Baruch then you're connected to life. And that's what this Pashish is about. And this Pashish is right before Chaydish Elo. Because what does God say in Chaydish Elo? Ani, Ludaidi, Ludaidi, Li. You would think that the month, before judgment day, you should never have a court case, right? It's not, it's not fun to have a court case. And you should think that the day before I'm judged, it's very serious days and very scary days and, 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 and terrible days because, oh my God, I'm so guilty. I did so many things wrong and they're going to burn me. I'm going to be on the barbecue for a long time. They're going to burn me. They're going to punish me. I'm going to have a miserable year. Really, Elo, Ani Ledaidi, I'm to my loved one, Ledaidi Lee. It's all about love. The whole Elo, it's all about love. It's all about relationships. That's what it is. It's like, it's like, I need a day to would be a nice Hallmark card. Right? I'm to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. Wow. That's the card that Kershbok who sends us this coming month that we're about to bench. We're about to bench. Right? Elo, this coming month, Hashem's sending us a beautiful card. He's saying, I'm to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. And what's the other Rashi Tevis? Ishlere Eu Umatonus Le'evyanim. Every man has to be good to his friend, and give presents to the poor people, to the broken people. You know what presents are? Presents are not something that I owe you. If I owe it to you, it's not a present. If I owe my wife $10, by giving her the $10, I'm not giving her a present. So, means that in the month of Elul, take, work up your relationships. So it's three, it's three relationships you have here in Elul. Anila Dayi me and God. Ishlari Ehu, me and my friends. And Matanas Levyanim, people don't even deserve it. Right? The broken people, they don't, they don't even deserve it for whatever reason. You don't owe them anything. Matanas Levyanim, give them a present. Say a good morning, even though you don't know that person. Help that person, even though you don't know that person. That's Elul. That's how you prepare for Yamadin, for the day of judgment? Yes. Because it's all about relationships. And you, in this next month, are judging on what courtroom you will stand in Rosh Hashanah. There are three courtrooms. There's God's courtroom, there's the Rabbi's courtroom, and there's the Angel's courtroom, says the Zayar. And you decide where you're going to stand. It says, in God's courtroom, everybody walks out innocent. In the Rabbi's courtroom, half walk out innocent, half walk out guilty. In the Angel's courtroom... Everybody walks out guilty. Because the angels don't understand how a human being, after everything he gets, can sin against God. So if you end up in the angel courtroom, you're Dunsky. If you end up in the rabbi's courtroom, you got a half a chance. If you end up in God's courtroom, he finds some way to get you out. Rav Shimbaichai wrote this. So how, how do I, how's it work? Like, how do you get into which courtroom, right? So the answer is, if your relationship is with God, Right? If that's what your relationship is, and he is your Avinu Malkenu, he is your father, then when he sees you coming to court, he's like, that's my child, you come into my room. Because we're all going to take care of our kid. So you, you can't wake up all of a sudden become the child. So El is the 30 days where you make that relationship with Akash Baruch Hu, and he, oh, that's my child. So then you go into that court, there's no judge in the world that would allow his child to be guilty. 
That's why they don't let judges judge their children. So, Rav Shem said, if you get into that courtroom, you have nothing to worry about. The courtroom of the rabbis is if you don't have that relationship with Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So then you get into the courtroom of the rabbis. Now the question is. How do you look at rabbis? If you're the one that's walking around saying, all the rabbis are, you know, they don't care about this, they don't care about that, and you're making fun of this rabbi, you're making fun of that rabbi, and I don't like this rabbi, and I don't like that rabbi. So the rabbis are like, hey, if in this world you don't hold from us, so then why would you want to come to our court? So me, the connecting me, you can't come into our court either. So if you don't have a relationship with rabbis, and you don't have a relationship with God, then you have to end up, God forbid, in the in the Malachim's courtroom. And if you walk into the Malachim's courtroom, they don't let any human being out without finding them guilty. So it's really up to us what courtroom we're going to go into. So Elul is the time to and to develop that relationship that Akash Baruch will say, Rosh Hashanah, she, she's in my courtroom. And your Neshama has nothing to worry about. But you have to develop that relationship. And that's what this month is. This month is to develop a connection to Akash Baruch Hu. And if you do that, then Re'eh, Anaychi, you will see me, says Hashem. You will see I, as Habracha. You will see the Bracha of being connected to me. You should all have a lot of Hatzlacha, have that connection, and Bezrat Hashem, Kosh should judge us all like his own children. Kulei Zakai, and bring Mashiach from Hebe and Maynon. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.